Welcome to the Berkeley Innovation Podcast, brought to you by Berkeley Engineering's Sitargis Center for Entrepreneurship and Technology, SCET, on the thriving campus of the University of California, Berkeley. Hello, friends. This is Stephen Torres, your host on this journey of entrepreneurship, innovation, and achievement. This Alumni Achievers episode was recorded on campus March 21st, 2017, as part of our Newton Lecture Series. It features a group of Berkeley Engineering graduates sharing their experience working in technology at several renowned technology firms. It's hosted by VC partner at Excel, Amit Kumar, and it features Padmini Payapali from Uber, Jeff Huang from Facebook, and Sanjay Jayakumar from Twitter. They'll be sharing their tech journey from campus to where they are now and give some career advice to those aspiring techies all around the world. Let's get right to the episode. My name is Gershan Madan. As Vicky said, I'm a third year uh, mechanical engineering student here. And tonight I have the privilege of introducing our speakers for the night. Now we have a panel tonight that's going to be talking about entrepreneurship in tech firms. And best yet, we're getting it from four golden bears. So this is going to be a great experience for all of us. Now tonight our first speaker is Padmini Piaupali. Now Padmini went to go work at a couple of companies, Zynga, she went to work after that, or at first at NetApp, then Zynga, before finally ending up as Uber's fifth Android engineer. So she has a lot of really great, great perspective on the upbringing of Uber. Our second speaker is Jeff Wong. Now Jeff started off at Microsoft and we're working on their MS Office stuff. From there, he took on a management role at Microsoft before transitioning to Facebook, where he leads the profiles team. And finally, we have our final panelist is Sanjay Jayakumar, who kind of got his career started off at Oracle, at Google, and then finally moved to uh, becoming the first engineer at a startup called uh, Telepart. That was acquired by Twitter, so now he's actually at Twitter. To moderate this, uh, this panel, we have our uh, return guest speaker, Mr. Amit Kumar, who, uh, from Excel Partners. So he'll be kind of leading this discussion and uh, Without further ado, I'd love to welcome all four speakers. Please join me in giving a really warm welcome to all four of them. Great, thank you Gershon for that uh, lovely intro and thank you everyone for having uh, me again and, and welcoming all of us. I'm super excited to welcome these three just because uh, not only do they work at some of the most relevant companies in the Valley, but they have very, I would say, distinct experiences in terms of Sanjay. Sanjay has been a software architect, pursued that path of you know, deep technical expertise. Jeff has gone into management. He's an engineering manager at Facebook today. And Budmini's had the experience of working at two hyper-growth companies, which typically is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but she's had that chance twice, so I'm really excited. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Uh, but I think what makes it really special is that you guys are all Cal Bears. So I think I would love to uh, start off by asking you a little bit about your experience at Cal. Maybe you could just tell us about a story or two or just what your experience was like, a class you took or a professor you remember. You want to start off, Sanjay? Uh, sure. So I graduated from EECS in uh, 2003. Uh, I was just telling uh, Jeff that 2003 seems uh, like a 
more than a decade ago, but also That's just because like, it is, dude. <laughs> it is, but it's also just like uh, you know, just ye like yesterday for me. Like I was walking around campus, and so many things haven't changed. Uh, you know, we spent a lot of time in Soda Hall, like you, some of your CS majors probably do today. Um, the thing that sort of, when I think back, uh, that is very distinctive about sort of the experience was uh, the technology. Um, at that time, so you know, to paint a picture, we'd be in like the second floor of uh, Soda Hall, late into the night. Uh, the phones that we used to use were those Nokia blue phones. Do you remember that? The snake game on the blue phones. Fifty-four eighty. Yeah, 5480? yeah. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and uh, the email that most of us used to have was Hotmail, uh, and that was the year 2003 when Apple introduced its iPhone music service. Right, so till then everyone had been using Napster, not even sure if you guys heard of it. Uh, so it, within the last 15 years, I mean, that's one-fifth of a person's lifetime, but in terms of technology, that's two or three generations, right? Because just for the Nokia phone, we've, come and we've seen uh, the BlackBerry system and now um, iPhone and Android. So do you want to tell us like, maybe about a memory from Berkeley or, cl or a class or a professor? Um, that was memorable. Sure. I mean, I think CS150 was very memorable for me. CS150, I'm not sure if you, do you guys still have it? Yep. Is anybody taking it? One guy. Awesome. One poor soul. All right, there you go. <laughs> Why aren't you in lab? He's awake now, yeah. I mean, the thing that I remember, I mean, it was a lot of hard work, uh, but what made the class was just the people, right? I mean, and the people you work with, the friendships that you sort of develop here. Cool. What about you, Jeff? Cool. Um, so I graduated in 05. Uh, I was CS, not Yeeks. Um, and I think the program was very different from what it is now. Uh, when I was at Cal, it was kind of like the downfall. It was right after the dot-com bust. Um, so actually, my graduating class of CS was only 50 people. Um, I heard that CS61A right now has like 1,400 people, and there's like a wait list. Um, I literally had like maybe one to 200 people in that. And then, you know, as the years went by, people um, <clears throat> more and more they kind of dropped out of CS. And at the time, it was also uh, impacted. So there was a GPA requirement of I think 3.4. Um, so it was pretty tough seeing my friends kind of like not make it into CS and end up in CogSci and math and econ. But um, now it's 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 awesome. Um, no, I mean those those majors are great. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but now it's like it's awesome seeing all these people um, you know, coming into CS because we actually need that uh, direly. Like, our industry is growing like it's crazy. Um, so it's awesome to see you guys in here. Um, I think one of my favorite memories is um, taking compilers with Hillfinger. Uh, I don't know if he still teaches that, but that was you know, one of like, the most reputable classes for being super hard. He's like, a really tough professor, but that class, I think, is one of the like, foundations of understanding computer science. Um, I think when you, I think one thing that uh, Berkeley really uh, shines at is teaching you theory. So you don't learn like, a specific language like, really well, um, but you learn the theory so that you can actually pick up any language coming out of it. Uh, and I think compilers is like, right there um, as, as like, a core foundational piece. Um, 
But some of my favorite you know, memories are just like being in lab with friends and making these connections and these lifelong friends that I still have today um, in class as you're like struggling over a project, um, which I think like some people don't realize uh, right now is you're struggling through classes, which is actually like making you really strong and well prepared for industry, uh, where other people at different colleges like Stanford, they kind of get coddled um, where they don't have to struggle as much. So definitely like take that with you and, and enjoy it. <laughs> Cool. Um, I graduated in 2010 from EECS. Um, my favorite memories, I guess I have a bunch of really small scattered memories. Um, I remember taking 61 BC, 61C with Dan Garcia, and um, he was great. I liked him a lot. I know he had this thing where he talked really fast, and he told all the students the first day or second day to do this when he talked really fast. Does he still do that? Does anyone take 61C? Or has, okay, yeah? Does he still do this? Like tell me to, okay. So I remember, I remember he said that and he like sped on and he talks really, really fast. Um, and no one did this, but I was struggling really hard, but no one did it. So I was like, is everyone just really, really quick at grasping what he's saying? Um, and then afterwards, I remember like talking to the people I was sitting with and I was like, did you guys catch all of that? Cause I did. And they were like, no dude, he was so fast. And I was like, oh my God, me too. Um, so I remember like going back, rewatching lectures, um, but that was really fun. Um, I think I agree with these guys in that you form really strong friendships from struggling through things like lab and late nights. Um, another couple of things that really stood out to me was I feel like Berkeley is really, like as a school, not just within the engineering department, but um, I feel like our students are really proactive and diverse and really care about things that happen just in the world and outside of, outside of class. So I remember one specific incident that happened um, while I was at Cal, some student wrote something racist at UCLA on a bathroom on a bathroom wall, and um, after that, a bunch of um, Berkeley students kind of lined up with tape across their mouths and held hands and just stood in silence. Um, so that really, that's like a memory I'll never forget. I remember I was walking to class and then I saw that and I walked past class for like, or, or I walked past them for 20 minutes and I still remember that and I still remember it now. Um, I think it's really special and it's something we should really value, just the diversity and how we care about things. Yeah. Cool. Um, so obviously everyone here is thinking about their career and they're thinking about you know, how to make the decision about where to start. And Jeff, I want to ask you, you, know, you were at Microsoft and then you made the jump to Facebook. You know, and you, you made the jump at a time where I think a lot of people thought it was too late to join Facebook, whatever that means. Um, you know, what were your considerations? You know, how did you think about that move? You know, you established yourself at Microsoft, you were a manager at Microsoft, and the role at Facebook was you know, become an engineer. Like, how did you think about making that decision? Yeah, um, so I think it's important to set the context for the time. So it was 2011, um, and all the startups were about uh, web pages. Uh, there wasn't anything about apps really yet, and uh, mobile hadn't really taken off yet. Um, and so I was currently working at Microsoft on Office, and this was the first iteration of the online version, where you could view and edit PowerPoint presentations in a browser. Um, 
it got to the point where uh, Microsoft kind of had two products, the Hotmail version, which was free for people to use, um, and the SharePoint version, which we sold to companies and enterprises. And we were making improvements to the online version, but they uh, wouldn't let us update the free version uh, as quickly as the paid one, because obviously they, they make money from the other version. So it got to a point where um, I wasn't happy because I wanted to iterate on the product. I wanted to keep making it better. I wanted to make improvements, and that's kind of my like one of the core reasons why I'm in software is to make things better and you know build things for people. Um, so I looked around at other companies in, in the Bay. Um, and yeah, I, I was a manager at the time. And Facebook was super interesting to me. Uh, some people say it was definitely like very late. I, I think I joined when there were 600 engineers. Um, I think there were 600 million people using Facebook. Um, but it was still also not like a um, super like safe bet either. Like, you know, my parents and friends were still like, why would you join you know, social network? Like, why, you know, what are you doing? Like, that's not Microsoft or Google. You know, they, they weren't public yet. Um, and so I looked at other companies. I also looked at you know Google. Google, I think, was more safe at that time. People were really pushing me towards that direction. Um, Dropbox was very new at the time. That was kind of a, one of the new you know hot startups. Um, but ultimately, when I interviewed at Facebook, um, and also the interview, uh, Facebook wasn't uh, hiring engineering managers directly in. So I actually interviewed as uh, as a programmer, as an engineer. Um, which actually uh, took a long time. Like I had to study my ass off because, I, you know, over time you forget a lot of the like core concepts around data structures and algorithms. And you know, you guys hopefully are doing this for your interviews, but you know, you don't use you know trees, binary trees every single day or linked lists. Um, so I had to study for that. Um, but as I interviewed at Facebook, I realized like the people I was talking to were super passionate, super smart, and like really into what they were doing, um, and they were really mission driven, and that that really kind of stuck with me uh, compared to some of the other uh, companies. So. I think one thing to take away from it is uh, I was pretty comfortable at Microsoft. I was an engineering manager. Um, I probably could have stayed there for 40 years and then retired. Um, my work-life balance was great. I'd come in at 10, I'd leave at 5. Um, but I wanted something more out of my job. I wanted to be challenged. Uh, and then I, I got that at Facebook. So I took the leap to go from engineering manager back to engineer. Um, and then over time, I actually ended up back as a manager again. Awesome. Uh, and Budman, it's kind of a similar question for you. You've had like a very unique experience being at two hyper-growth companies, at a Zynga, at an Uber. We should all be so lucky to work at those types of companies. You know, what, what has that experience been like for you, and what were the characteristics of those companies that attracted you to join them in the first place? Cool. Um, so actually, it was the reason I joined Zynga is very different from why I joined Uber. Um, so at the time, I had two really good friends working at Zynga. They really vouched for Zynga's culture. It seemed really fun to work at a gaming company. And um, I feel like after talking to my two friends that worked there, I, I found out that every, like, it seems like they're just building games, but the way they decide what to build and the features to build, it's all very systematic. It's all very data-driven. Um, so I kind of thought of it more of a, like a data company where they know everything about the user. They, like, they know the button clicks, the views, the colors, how does that change the user's behavior? Um, and I found that part of it really, really interesting. So um, yeah, Zynga was very well known. I saw it all over the place. I played a bunch of games. I spent $10 on Farmville on a horse shed. It was so worth it, except it's gone now, and it's obviously not real. But, um, <laughs> but it was, um, I kind of, I understood the appeal. And culture mattered a lot to me, because I was looking for some place I could, you know, be, like, 
be friends with the people I worked with um, and not have them be just coworkers and also just learn a lot and move really fast. Um, with Uber, it was different. I kind of, um, I moved to the city uh, seven, six years ago and I could sort of see the impact Uber was having on just this like people or um, uh, just the convenience of going around and you know going out and all of that. Um, it was one of the few apps I used and I feel like little things about it um, really caught my attention. Like they cared about, they added in little features um, just to surprise and delight users. Like if it's Christmas, the cars are replaced by Christmas trees and it's a little thing, but it's something that I noticed. Um, and also I liked that they promised um, reliability because even though they had black car when they first started and it was $30 to get home, but it still made me feel better that at the end of the night, I'll never be stranded in some corner of the city. Um, I think if I were to move to another company, um, I'd look for qualities that both of them have. Um, I think culture is very, very, very important because you're at work, you're at work, you know, sometimes 12 hours a day, 10, 12 hours a day. And um, you're with these people all the time and you want them to care as much as you do. You wanna get along with them. And um, I feel like it, it, really, it really matters even though it doesn't seem like it at first. Um, and I would look for a company that actually helps people or does something truly revolutionary. Um, for example, like Uber's mission was to, um, was to make the mission statements actually transportation as reliable as running water. Um, and it's kind, of, it's kind of crazy. It's like huge and very, very hard, but um, it helps people every day and it changes everyone. It affects people directly, so yeah. Cool. Um, Sanjay, you, you kind of actually had a different path. So you started off uh, at Oracle and then Google, and then at some point you decided to leave to be the first engineer at a startup at Telepart. Um, maybe you can talk us through that decision, you know, how you thought about it. Obviously, you've been at these large, successful companies and built a career there. What made you take the leap? And then, you know, how did you, how did you decide, you know, once you decided you want to go to a startup, how did you pick a startup, you know, which one to go to? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, and there are, very, there are similarities between what Jeff and Padmini said. So I think in those similarities, I mean, I think um, there are some takeaways, which I'll sort of mention. So uh, when I was working at Google, so initially I came in with this project called GData, uh, which was an API, but uh, quickly switched out of it just because it kind of didn't resonate with me. I didn't have sort of the passion to build out an API system. Uh, ended up working actually under Peter Norvig, uh, and uh, one of the people who actually sort of elevated what I was be able to do technically was uh, Peter Sulchevsky, who's the CEO of Wish right now. Um, so it was, if you can imagine, there, we, it was four of us in a room. It was me, Mark Eisenstadt, Peter Stolchevsky, and Dimitri. Uh, we were working on a research project on Peter Norvig that didn't see light of day because it kind of fundamentally changed Google's search infrastructure and they were a bit reluctant to do so for obvious reasons. Um, so when that did, wasn't going to see light of day, switch to sort of uh, Android, and this was Android before it was launched. Um, so back then, you know, they had a different device they were going to launch with. Uh, right at the last moment when the iPhone came out, uh, they noticed that they would actually be behind market. So they're gonna, they took a year to sort of like bring it up to spec before they actually launched. Uh, and so a year after that, the pace of development kind of uh, slightly tapered out and it wasn't 
as energizing and I wasn't as energized to sort of go to work. And that's when the opportunity came along. Uh, so I'd worked with Josh and Mark, uh, and therefore I kind of just joined Teleport because, again, these were people I'd worked with uh, and I enjoyed working with. And thus I went and joined uh, as the first engineer. And, um, you know, what was that experience like being the first engineer at a startup after a career basically built at cushy big companies? You know, when it, you know, there's like no safety net, like what, can you just describe what that felt like? Were you terrified? Yes, yes. And way, yes, <laughs> because um, I think though looking back, one of the things that I sort of, you know, uh, I'm glad that I did are that every time you look at your career, there are inflection points, right? Um, you being here at Berkeley is the first inflection point in your career. Then you look for your next inflection point, right? And that's what happened with Jeff and Padmini as well. And going to that startup, it was a risky proposition, especially, you know, being at Google, you know, you, you have all of the amenities food's taken care of, everything is actually taken care of. So to go away from there uh, without maybe even sort of uh, um, a health insurance, right? So that was kind of unnerving. Also, this was very early days for AWS. Um, AWS has made, you know, you don't have to sort of set up your own data center, but EMR was a new thing, right? Like EMR, not many people were actually using it. Can you tell them what EMR is? Though? EMR is a elastic MapReduce, so a Hadoop, MapReduce and EMR is AWS's version of uh, MapReduce, basically. And back in the day, Telepart, uh, when we were setting Telepart, uh, we had to do this thing called real-time bidding, and people basically had already tried it and said that it wasn't possible in AWS. So there were all, all these like challenges and things that seemed to be difficult, but that's where growth uh, lay, at least in for me. Cool. Badmini, uh, you did you actually did a really great job at Uber in terms of navigating the internals of a company, right? Where Sanjay's talking about he was a sign on project, he, he didn't like it as much. You know, you, you were the fifth engineer there, and then you were the founding engineer on Uber Eats, and now you're, you've transitioned to Uber Freight. Can you talk about how you navigate like a big company? How do you get to work on those cool projects? How do you get to start those interesting teams? Yeah. Um so I was really lucky in that my hiring manager at Uber was the fourth engineer in, in all of Uber. And um, basically what happened was he, him and I worked on our first team together. Then after that, whenever he moved on to a new project, so he kind of, like being the fifth engineer at Uber, you have a lot of flexibility, you have a lot of trust from the CEO. So he kind of, like he explores new options, new opportunities. He builds teams around it. He convinces Travis that it's worth pursuing. And um, that's basically how a lot of the projects have, at Uber have started. So um, him and I, because we work together, we. Uh, I trusted him a lot, he trusted me a lot. And basically whenever, like every couple months, I would just ping him and be like, hey Curtis, like, where are you up to? And then he'd say, oh, you know, kind of looking at Uber Eats, I feel like there's something there. And I'm like, oh, like, let me know if anything happens, I'm, um, I wanna help. And basically that's the same reason I got into Uber Freight. He um, just kept in touch with him, and then he, because of that trust, he was willing to bring me on. Um, so I feel like it doesn't even have to be the fifth engineer at Uber or the fifth engineer at any company. I feel like I feel like if you have a mentor that you've worked with and you trust them and you trust their ideas and they trust you, then just keep just ping, keep pinging them, keep in touch with them, and chances are that when they think of 
when they start a new project or join a new team and you know they're whoever's in charge of that team comes to them and says hey we need another engineer do you know anybody he or she will think of you so um, I highly recommend just finding a mentor and um, just kind of keeping in touch. So that, that's what happened with me. And Uber, joining Uber Eats, and Uber, Freight, Uber Eats and Uber Freight were really easy sells just because, well, well they're really different. So Uber Eats is, um, so it's food delivery, and it's kind of an idea that's been proven. So there's so many other apps that do. There's DoorDashers, Postmates, um, Caviar. Um, and it's, it's an idea that we kind of knew, like this will be successful. Um, we just have to build it faster, then we make it better, et cetera, et cetera. We focus on customers, we focus on restaurants. Um, and that's kind of how, it's like I was joining a project that I knew would do really, really, really well um, if built the right way. We just build it as better <coughs> if possible. Um, I mean, it, it is possible, but um, anyway. And with Uber Freight, the challenge is it's we're catering to a different audience. so. With Uber Eats, like I would be a user of Uber Eats. Uber Freight serves truck drivers and shippers. I'm neither of those things. So it's kind of like a challenge in that it's something to figure out. We don't know what it is yet. Um, and we're just trying different ideas and uh, being really flexible. We have to be willing to like throw away weeks of code to try something else because our users didn't like the old, the old way we built it. Um, so yeah, it, it, was, it was an easy decision. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I want to switch tracks a little bit and talk about management. Uh, so Jeff, you know, you've gone into management twice. I, I just want to have you talk a little bit about you know, how you made the decision to go into management. Once you made the decision that you wanted to go into management, how did you go pursue that path? You know, what led you there? And then how do you, like, maybe on a day-to-day -day basis, try to become a better manager? What resources do you use? Cool, yeah. Um, well, for those of you that don't know, um, engineering managers are responsible for kind of two things. Uh, one is making sure that the team and the product is healthy, the business side. Um, and then the other half is you're managing people. So you have direct reports whose careers you're essentially uh, responsible for. And so on that side of things, you want people who, um, you want engineering managers who want to be in it for the right reasons. So you don't want to be an engineering manager just to have more power. Or if you think that you get to make the decisions, it's actually more about like helping people. Um, so a lot of it for me actually came and started actually from Cal, where um, I was actually a tutor at like uh, at the SLC. Um, I tutored actually at the SPC as well. Um, and tutoring and mentoring was something that I really enjoyed and something that I found very rewarding. Um, and that translates directly over to engineering management, where you have a team of people and you're essentially there to help them grow and be better engineers. Um, so that rewarding feeling of seeing someone get better at something is something that I really uh, enjoy. Um, and that's something that I think uh, manifests itself in a lot of like the most successful engineering managers, I would say. Um, so to answer your question, the way that I pursued it um, was um, kind of, you know, at these larger companies, one of the benefits is that they have um, structures in place to help you grow your career, whether you're an individual contributor, you know, an engineer, or if you want to pursue the management path. So both at Microsoft and at Facebook, um, there are opportunities where you can start being more of a leader on the team, whether it's just in the product where you're spending more time thinking about you know, the next steps or like what are the big opportunities, um, how do you break it down, how do you start working with other engineers to get something done. Um, 
but also mentoring more people on the team. Um, so you know, every year we would have uh, interns come in, uh, and so you need you know intern managers, which is kind of like a small scale version of being uh, an engineering manager because you have you know a new grad come in who doesn't know anything, and you're responsible for getting them to be you know at the caliber of someone who would join your company. Um, so I would do that. I would you know I was. Um, intern manager for a few years, I would mentor people, um, and then you know the opportunity kind of just arose. And I would say at Microsoft it was much more, um, you kind of wait, you kind of have to wait for the opportunities. Like it's a pretty big company, there's a lot of people there. Um, at Facebook it was much more like, we need engineering managers, how can we get as many you know people ready in time? Because um, we were growing so quickly. So um, that's kind of the path. I think your other question was, how do you get better as an engineering manager? Yeah. Um, similar reasons to having a mentor, I would say like I look up to a bunch of the engineering managers that I've worked with before um, and kind of learn from example. And I, so I think having a mentor is useful basically in any career, in any uh, career path you take. Um, we do have trainings you know, on Facebook and outside of Facebook as well um, on how to grow people's careers, how to have difficult conversations. Um, and yeah, I think just, just trying, just wanting to get better is kind of a skill that you know, people should learn. So Sanjay, you know, um, I, I think at least in, in the tech industry, we've not done a great job of celebrating kind of someone who wants to go down the architect path. We kind of over-celebrate, I think, the manager route. But you've been very unique in the fact that you're a staff engineer at Twitter. You're going down that architect path. Like, you know, what's, what's been your thought process as you think about that? Why have you pursued that? Have you ever considered going into management? Uh, very good question. So. Actually, coming out of Berkeley, right? Like, I mean, the way I had thought about sort of uh, technology and sort of advancing in career, you know, you sort of do your years and then you, you know, you grow your team, you become an engineer, engineering manager, and you know, sort of go up that ladder. Uh, coming out, uh, what I found was my interests and strengths uh, didn't completely sort of align for me to be sort of the best engineering manager. Uh, I've had the pleasure of working with. Um, a few top-notch engineering managers and uh, VP of engineering as well uh, at Telepart who had previously worked with Andrew Sinharowitz back in the day. Um, and you know, the, the strengths and the interests that he has sort of uh, make him what he is in terms of like being a really good VP of engineering. And what I mean by that is basically there's leadership, uh, then there's setting the mission and vision for the company, being able to sort of communicate that and sell that outside, and then there's sort of like the technical aspect. And the last portion is where sort of I really got excited about. Um, and so at Telepart, uh, I initially was the infrastructure engineer lead, started trying, started doing that, but what I found exciting was actually sort of like being innovating and trying to get out the next generation of the platform, uh, and that, career path is actually sort of slightly understated, but it's very rewarding uh, in the variety of different ways, right? Like personally as well as like financially and all of the other reasons as well. Uh, so that's a big consideration for all of you as well. Jeff, how does Facebook think about, you know, I, I know you have like a hacker culture, right? So maybe it's a little bit easier there, but how do they think about, you know, making sure that people pursue that path of individual um, engineering leadership? Yeah, I think it's pretty similar in that um, at Facebook, we optimize for you working on what you're best at and what you're most interested in. So if you know, Sanjay was interested in the technical side, then that's what we would encourage you to go and do. Um, 
So I think one, one thing is like, if everybody wanted to be an engineering manager, you would just have a bunch of managers managing each other and no one would get anything done. So I think having you know, architects and people who pursue the engineering career path is super important and you just have to have that uh, at every software company. Um, but I think you know, having a hacker culture makes it a little bit easier because there's no red tape. So I think any engineer can go and just build something. Like if they wanted to build Facebook Eats or something, they would just go and do that. Um, they wouldn't have to be like, hey, let me submit a proposal, let me get buy-in, let me go and do this. We have you know, regular hackathons and people can kind of just do what, they, do what they want to. Awesome. Budmini, you're a little bit earlier in your career. How do you, have you thought about like, whether you want to go into management and how, how are you trying to make that decision if you haven't? Yeah, um, I have thought about it. I've been thinking about it for a while. I haven't totally decided, but um, I guess the way I'm thinking about it is, um, so firstly, I, I feel like it's hard. I, I don't know how it is at other companies, um, but I know that for some managers I've talked to at Uber and even at Zynga, it's very hard to build big features or to code when you're a manager because you have to spend a lot of time bringing up your engineers um, and talking to product and all of that. Um, so I think that's one thing that I'm having a hard time detaching myself from, like, oh my god, I'm going to be a manager. Will I ever code again? Will I forget everything? Um, so I do want to get to a point where I feel like I've learned enough um, that I can say, OK, like now I can just focus on bringing up the rest of my team. Um, Another thing is, I feel one reason it's hard to be for me to be a man, think about management at Uber is because we're building so many new product projects all the time, and I feel like we have so many things that we're innovating on that, like, when a new feature, a new idea, a new project um, comes to my attention, I I think I want to build that, not necessarily I want to build a team to build that. Um, so I, I, but I feel like I do. Um, so I guess I'm. I guess my, the question in my head um, that will determine when I'm ready to be a manager is when will I feel like, you know, instead of building things by myself, um, enable the rest of my team to work faster and build things um, probably way faster than I would. Um, so yeah, I haven't undecided, but we'll see. Jeff, how was letting go for you? Inter you know, what Bumi's talking about, I mean, I totally echo, you do have to kind of let go. Like, yeah. what was that process like for you? Yeah, it's, it's hard. Like, actually, that's probably the um, most common thing that people transitioning to an engineering manager role experience is they miss the coding. Because coding is super rewarding. You know, you write some code, you check it in, something changes, uh, and it's like immediate gratification. Um, as an engineering manager, you don't get those daily uh, hits of gratification. It's like over the course of six months or a year, you see somebody grow as an engineer. Um, so giving up coding is by far the hardest piece. Um, what I try and do is actually fulfill that itch of coding and um, you know building things uh, by building projects on the side, um, which actually I would recommend like every student do. Like I know it's tough to manage you know a tough project schedule and, and classes and everything, but like go and build apps because it's like essential for you know learning you know and, and building things. It's super fun. Um, so I try and build things on the side uh, that kind of like scratches that itch of like, hey, I'm not coding uh, during the day. Um, but you know, I try and get those like hits of satisfaction by seeing my team grow, and um, that's that's kind of how I manage it. Cool, uh, Sanjay. So you're uh, you joined Telepark. They got acquired by Twitter. Can you talk about like what that was like for you for the company? What it was like to transition into Twitter? Uh, that's a good question. So. Joined Telepart in 2009. Uh, Telepart was acquired by Twitter in 2015. So I think, you know, 
the first thing that comes to mind is like six years of almost six years of hard work. You know, there's a kind of, there's a stamp of approval of you know, hey, you've accomplished something. Um, especially given that um, you know, I was one of the first engineers. Uh, we when we were acquired, we were 50 engineers. The entire company was about 80 people. Uh, but you know, our acquisition price was. Um, huge, right? So on a per um, per engineer and per employee basis, we had created a lot of value. So that first, that stamp of sort of approval for someone else to say, hey, what you did was valuable, uh, that was very uh, gratifying. Uh, the other th things were also that, you know, now you're a, a part of Twitter and to be able to sort of do the same thing at a much bigger scale, um, at Twitter scale, right? So before at Teleport, we were dealing with hundreds of millions of users. What we used to do at Teleport was basically um, do something called retargeting. So you visit Nordstrom, uh, and then later on, you're in your own Facebook, you're reminded of your, uh, you so know. So it's your fault. It's, <laughs> um, it's actually very intriguing. I'm not sure if we have time, what goes on behind the scenes, because just as the Facebook newsfeed renders on the right, that one page request is really touching 1,000 machines. I'm not exaggerating, because in real time, Facebook is sending out requests to everyone who's interested in that person. Teleport used to be one of those people. Uh, so doing it at Twitter is now, you know, you're at a much bigger stage, billions of users in terms of like an actual footprint. Cool. Uh, so what I think one really interesting thing about all three companies, and obviously I was at Twitter as well, is that they're lightning rods for controversy all for their various different reasons, whether it's fake news or executive turnover or whatever have you. So what is it like to work at a company which sometimes gets beaten up in the press? You know, does that ever take a toll on your morale? Or you know, what, the re, all three companies are really easy targets. And what's that been like for, for you guys? Sanjay, do you want to start? Sure. Um, yes, I mean, uh, even with events yesterday and today, right? I mean, it is difficult at times. But at the same time, uh, you know, putting in perspective what actually happened over the weekend where there was a congressional hearing and in real time Trump was using Twitter to sort of get his thoughts out, which were being addressed in the congressional he hearing, that happened last weekend, right? I mean, to work on a platform that is, you know, gives you that much power, that's exciting. Um, Along with it comes, you know, sort of power in the right for the right reasons, wrong reasons. But you know, Jack's mission is that Twitter be a microphone for every person in the world, and so I think you know we're fulfilling that. Jeff. Yeah, I think. Uh, let's see. When I joined in 2011, uh, we Facebook was getting beat up about privacy quite a bit, um, and I think one thing that really helped was Sheryl Sandberg um, kind of gave this talk uh, about how the press cycle is um, it's a circle. So like, you know, it's super interesting for writers and journalists to be writing about what's new. You know, they, you know, if something new is, you know, if some company's doing well, then they want to be writing something about them doing poorly, right? And then other journalists will kind of come in and pile in, and then you have this negative press cycle. And then eventually, you know, all the, all the media is about, you know, the negative pieces of things. And then to be, you know, interesting, you write something positive, and then it kind of like circles back. So. Um, I've been pretty lucky to experience kind of that, that circle, and lately it's been pretty positive for the past few years, so um, I felt pretty, pretty uh, lucky. But I think, uh, to Sanjay's point, it's like, you have to take the response, you have to take the good with the bad. You know, it's like you have the responsibility and the power to influence, you know, billions of people. Uh, that means you're gonna make some people angry, and you know, it's actually hard to build one product that makes everybody happy. Um, so I think, it, you know, you take the, the good with the bad. Yeah. Um, so I've seen a few different 
types of controversies um, at Uber and at Zynga. Um, I feel like I feel like some of them are really easy to brush off. Like for example, um, there's a lawsuit against Uber or Zynga or whatever, um, and. There, then you just have to kind of trust your execs and trust your legal team and say, that's fine, we're still doing good work, it's okay. Um, there's some controversies where like an exec maybe says something um, and it makes people feel like whatever company is evil. I feel like then you just kind of like, you're kind of like, oh, why did they say that? But it's fine because you're still, you have to think about your users, um, just like Sanjay and Jeff said, and um, realize that you're not working exactly, you're working for them, um, like you're working for the drivers, you're working for the writers, uh, you're working for the, the gamers, whatever. Um, so that helps a lot with morale. Um, and then I, I think the third controversy is important to mention. Um, it's when you're under attack by the press because of maybe some cultural issue. And I think that one is the hardest to shake off and it affects morale a lot. Um, and it's, it's, I feel like when something like that happens, it's hard to shake it off and you shouldn't necessarily shake it off. Um, you should think about what can I do or look around you and try to evaluate whether it's a real thing or a real issue and whether you're a part of it or whether you can help it. Um, and I think that's really important just because, I mean, I, I know that some people at, um, some people I've talked to consider like a major cult cultural issue kind of like an outage. Um, because you have the morale of so many people down, then they're not working as much. It's kind of like a major problem, like an outage, something that's keeping it from functioning the way it should, keeping the company from functioning the way it should. So I feel like if, if it's something like that, like a cultural issue, it does affect morality. And I think um, it's important to look around and see how you can help make it better um, because those are the hardest to solve. Cool. And before uh, before we turn it over to you guys for questions, you know, just maybe round out and just say, like, you know, what advice would you give? Would you give yourself at the age of 22, or maybe the people sitting here? Kind of, you guys have had you know very successful careers as you've navigated Silicon Valley. Everyone here is about to go embark on that kind of career path. You know, if we just go down the line, you know, what advice would you give? And we've heard a lot of great things. You know, obviously, get a mentor. You know, look out for those inflection points. But is there anything else you want to add? Yeah, so uh, I'm really, first of all, it's an honor to be here. I'm really thankful to have this chance to speak to you. In 2003, there was no sort of like forum like this where I could hear, uh, and it's really helpful. Uh, if I were to go back 15 years and sort of speak to myself, uh, I would probably tell myself to be less focused on sort of like the GPA and like, uh, you know, getting those grades. Sanjay got a 4-0, by the way. <laughs> Just let's throw that context in there. Maybe it wasn't a bad idea to focus on the GPA. It clearly worked out for you, dude. <laughs> well, um, I think I would, on hindsight, on hindsight, I would probably, you know, take some of that energy and put it uh, to expand my horizons, like communication, right? Go join the debate team. Uh, go do something else because that's the only time in your life that you'll actually have the chance to do so. Uh, pretty soon, like when, once you start work, right? Like work and life will overtake you. This is, you know, enjoy this experience. Well, yeah, I have a couple. Um, 
One is uh, make friends, so connect with everybody that you're working with and, and have class with because this is like a rare time in your life where everybody is kind of in this like friend-making mode, like everybody is open to new experiences, people are kind of thrown into these uh, classes and projects where you don't know other people. Uh, so definitely like make these connections because they last a long time. Like people that I've met in college I still keep up with and you know networking is a big part of your career, so definitely make friends right now. Um, I think two things that really helped me actually relate to what you just said were um, try and diversify. So don't just be heads down in project classes all the time. Um, two classes that I really enjoyed outside of CS, uh, one was Nutricide 10, I think. Literally, I was like, this is going to be such an easy A. I'm just going to pad my you know, requirements. Uh, it, it teaches you a lot about like health and like being a you know healthy person and how exercise is like important. Um, the second one was more important, but um, BA 103 is, is corporate finance. But actually a lot of those principles uh, apply to personal finance. And so being in computer science, you know, in tech like right now, um, at some point you're gonna have to deal with money and dealing you know with taxes and, and a career and, and having a plan to you know retire. Um, that class taught me a lot about just how to like think about you know Things like that that normally you just don't think about. Where sure you could read about it on on you know the internet, but um, taking a class like that was super valuable to me. Um, so yeah, those are my two things. Cool. Um, I echo everything they said. Um, GPA isn't that important. I mean, it's kind of important, but like it's not worth all the stress. Like I look back at how stressed out I would get over my GPA, and it just wasn't worth it. Um, and diversify, I would go a step further um, than Jeff and say like, maybe it's even worth joining something that has no value whatsoever. Like I remember looking at the list of clubs and there was this one club that caught my attention called the Rubber Band Club. I don't know if it still exists, but I was like, oh, I should do that. And I was with a friend and he was like, oh my God, we should totally do that club. And I, I remember thinking, no, I have like this midterm and that midterm and it's not, it has nothing to do with engineering. I won't do it. I'm still thinking, regretting that decision to not, I would have been like the only rubber band expert in like my entire circle, maybe even in the city of San Francisco. I don't know. <laughs> now we'll never know how good I could have been with a rubber band. I, I don't even know what that means, whatever. Um, so I, I, would say, I would say when it comes to, when you're job hunting, um, take risks. So my first job, um, NetApp, was great, but I definitely was scared that I wouldn't get a better job, so I took the same job I got um, from my internship. I just accepted the offer, and I feel like I, was scared of the idea of applying to a startup because I did. I was like, I don't know anything. How I'm a student. How what possible value could I have? But I feel like it's worth just trying. Just interview. It's not a big deal if you bomb your interview. I feel like everyone who interviews you has probably bombed an interview at some point in their lives. Like sometimes I see people scared when I'm interviewing them, and I'm like. I have failed so many interviews. Like you do not need to be scared. So just try, um, try anything. Go crazy. I feel like it's worth it. There's really no downside. You just get more practice and you get to learn about more new companies. Um, yeah, and everything else is just has been said already. Cool. So I, I'd first of all, I'd like to thank you guys for for that. But now I want to open it up for questions. And I don't. Okay. So. Vicky has the mic. All right, so, there we go. Um, if you all will just introduce yourself and, and what you're studying, that would be great. 
Hi, uh, thank you all for coming. I must thank you for coming again. Um, I'm Nishant. I'm a second year studying Eeks. Uh, so I had a question for um, Amit. In your talk, the last time you talked a lot about mistakes you'd made and kind of failures and what you brought, uh, what you learned from those. So I guess um, for each of you, uh, what are some maybe the most valuable uh, or most memorable mistakes you've made and what you've kind of learned from those? Well, I think we learned Budmanese. It was the rubber band club, but yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead, Budmanese. Maybe you should start. Oh, man, my biggest failure? Well, maybe, I, not, hmm. maybe not biggest. Okay. But Just like something a that failure? you brought a lot out, you got a lot out of. A failure that I learned a lot. Can we come back to me? Uh, okay. I'll go, yeah. Um, I think one thing that I regret is uh, staying at Microsoft for too long. So I graduated in 05. I was at Microsoft for about five and a half years. And I kind of got caught up in the like leveling game. You know, it's almost like a video game where it's like, oh, I'm getting better. I'm gonna get promoted. I'm gonna get to that next level. I'm just gonna like stay a little bit longer. And I think uh, corporations they do a great job of that because that's you know in their best interest, which is uh, retention. Um, but I think like actually moving around companies and trying new things and taking risks is uh, something that like I actually finally did in 2011, uh, and it was like one of the best decisions I ever made. Um, so I would say like the best learning is like not to get too comfortable. Like you guys are all super young. It's like not time for you to retire. So just take risks. Sanjay? Uh, something very along the same lines. I think when I was looking at my undergrad career, I was just looking at 2003, May 2003, and I really hadn't thought like much past that, surprisingly. Uh, so uh, went on to Oracle just, just almost kind of just because, uh, but thankfully I think uh, the one thing that I'm grateful for all through the career is kind of like always not being sort of complacent and being open to a risk. Badmini. Um So I feel like I've been pretty risky in terms of jobs and teams, but um, in college I do wish I took more, learned more, expanded my horizons. I feel like actually what I did was I took all my engineering classes, my first three and a half years and left my humanities for the last semester because that's how, I, I just didn't realize their value. And then once it got to that point, I ended up having to take easy humanities classes because I can't do like four hard ones. Um, so I wish I sort of, it's like a time where you can just learn as much as possible. And I feel like learning about things other than engineering is really, really important. Um, and yeah, I just wish I took more um, classes I was interested in like psychology or anthropology or something. Awesome. Ready? Oh, so my name is Will. Thank you very much for coming, by the way. This is an awesome speech. This question is for Sanjay. Would you mind going in a little bit more technically on how the retargeting works and what kind of permissions or logins uh, have to be present to execute that? I'd be very happy to catch up with you because I would love to sort of go very deep, but I'm not sure if I'll uh, lose the audience. Fair enough. Awesome. <laughs> Oh, sure. Um, somewhere we, uh, up here we had a question, right? Or way up there. <laughs> Thanks for holding on. I had this electric toothbrush which followed me around the internet. Every website <laughs> I went to, it was there. Quit. I bought the damn thing. I was like over it. See, it worked. Yeah, it's, 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 it's so irritating. I, I can't be the only one who like so sees some boots on like Nordstrom's and then that 
fucking thing just follows you around the internet. Yeah. It's like it's outside my window looking in. Like it's just, it's his fault. All right, go ahead. Um, hi, I'm Anna. I'm a third year studying computer science and cognitive science. Um, I was wondering, you probably have all gone through this, but maybe if you could elaborate on a time in your undergrad career where you felt like maybe what you were studying wasn't for you or you had some doubts about that and what made you either continue or if you did pivot like like what was your thought process on that can I go yeah uh because CS was impacted and there's a GPA requirement um I was actually pretty poor at math classes despite being Asian uh but um <laughs> math classes here are super difficult um, so I was like pretty borderline uh, GPA requirement, and I think a lot of first and second year, I was questioning whether or not I should be in CS, whether or not I should, you know, my parents wanted to meet, you know, me to be a doctor. My brother was like going to business, um, but it was fun. Like the computer science classes were fun to me, and that's why I stuck with it. Says, so you know, you're kind of like solving the small problem, and when you get it it's like super rewarding and that feeling was not something that I got when I took other classes. So that's probably my story is like stick with it, you know, but actually the point is like do what you're interested in doing because you're just going to do such a better job at it. Like if you're forced to do something, you're not going to enjoy it, you're not going to do a good job, but um, just like see what, you're, see what you naturally like gravitate towards and, and do that. But one thing I'd also like to stress is that, you know, work is very different than what you sort of study. So just as Padmini mentioned, right, try to sort of imagine yourselves five years from now, 10 years from now, see who fits that mold and go talk to those people, right? Like see what their lives are like, what, what work for them is like, and see if that resonates with you. You should actually, I would totally recommend just emailing an engineer at these companies or finding a friend who works there, see if you can shadow them for a day. Like, I know that sounds crazy, but that's what your day is going to be like, you know? And it's not, it's not, you know, like Jeff said, it's not about solving binary tree problems or whatnot. It's like, you know, literally 50% of your day, no matter what job you have, I feel, is email. Like, I swear to God, <laughs> right? As, as ridiculous as that sounds. And the other half is meetings, and so I don't actually know when anyone does work. But it's, it, you know, you should just really try to experience what that cadence is like, you know? It's super helpful. Cool. Hi. Um, so going off that, actually, I was interested in what you all would suggest in um, how to find a mentor and how to reach out to others who are, say, five or ten years out in positions that we potentially want to be in. How do we go about finding mentors that <laughs> I don't want to, you know, inconvenience anyone? You know what? Uh, I think you should just go on LinkedIn and see like who interests you and send out an email. It doesn't matter if they don't email you back, right? Most of these people are not going to get emailed, right? Like I never get an email along those lines. So if one of you were to email me, I'd probably say yes. And You're about to get 50 emails. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, I think with the, again, I think what Patni said, right? Just do it. There's, there's no harm that could come out of it. I think I would just add, like, you're in an environment where you have a ton of other people in the same field. Uh, potentially, there are people who are going to graduate before you. Keep in touch with them. Uh, keep in touch with professors. Professors can kind of reach out to other people. And um, yeah, emailing us is like one avenue. Maybe not scale well, but um, that's one way to do it. Um, LinkedIn, like, cold, cold calling might work. Uh, but yeah, I think. Uh, I think, yeah, make sure that like, you leverage your, your network, like the Cal network, right? I think that's super important. 
Badmini, do you want to chime in? Yeah, um, I basically just echo what, what they say. I've found most of my mentors um, at companies I've worked at, so that's been a lot easier, but um, I didn't do a very good job when I was in school. What I should have done was cold email LinkedIn, people on LinkedIn, see people who are working at jobs that I'd be interested in, and yeah, leverage your alum network. Hi, my name is Riley. I'm a second year math and stats double major. Um, my question for you is, all of you have changed careers or changed companies a few times at different points in your career. After your first job, how do you go about deciding when it's time to switch? And how do you go about finding another position or company that you want to move into? That's a very good question. So the thing is, uh, people have said this, and I really echo this, you are going to be the average of the five people that you work most closest with, right? So uh, again, sort of find your mentors, see where the people are who you sort of like look up to and see what they're doing and emulate them. You'll kind of know. Jeff? Oh, um, I'd say when you stop being excited to go into work, it's time to look around. Um, and the, the way that you should look around is like, um, see what you're interested in, see what you've heard about these companies, uh, interview a lot, you know, interviewing is actually a good way to see what that company is like, because you'll actually be talking to, to engineers there. Um, see where your friends are working, that's actually a pretty good way to like, you know, your friends are potentially smart people, you know, they're, they're at companies for, for a reason, so I think that's like another good way to, to choose companies. Um, I agree with Jeff, I feel like, I feel like for your first few years uh, of working, your main goal is to grow as much as possible. And as soon as you feel like you're done learning or it's not as exciting, you're not working as hard, um, or people like around you, your mentors are looking for other things, then you should probably move to a different company. Um, and what I, I think, yeah, I think the interview process is a great way to get to know the team you're, you'll be working with. Um, and it's really important because you want people who, um, who work really hard and you can learn from. Like ideally, your team is a bunch of people who are way smarter than you, and then you'll automatically just level up really, really fast. And then once you feel like you're, you're done leveling up, just move on to another team or another company where you can again level up really, really fast. And when I say level up, I don't mean like get promoted. I mean learn. Hello, uh, my name is Akash. I'm a first year intended computer science and cognizant major. Uh, so all of you put a really he heavy emphasis on finding mentors and people to look up to. So my question to you is, at this point in your career, do you think that you've reached that point where like, your mentor was when you first saw them? Or are you still like, in the process of finding new mentors? And, like, Akash's got a pretty deep question right now. I don't know. <laughs> it's pretty official. Uh, I can go. I think um, I actually didn't do what I'm preaching. Like when I came out of school, I didn't have a mentor. I think partly it was like computer science is actually only, or engineering, you know, software engineering has only been around for like 30, 40 years. It's not like other industries where there's like been multiple uh, generations of these people doing it where you can like go and find a doctor and like mentor them. I think it's, it's been a little bit harder. Um, I think when I joined Facebook, I did, and when I did transition to management the second time, um, I did have a really good mentor. And I think your question is like, am I at that level of where he is? I, I am mentoring other engineering managers, so I hope I'm doing as good a job as he, he did with me, but uh, it's kind of hard to, to know, you know? There's no like absolute scale on that type of thing. Um, yeah, I feel like it's always worth having a mentor. Like I don't, I don't see that 
I don't see any time in my future where I just decide that I'm, I don't need anybody else to look up to. I feel like I'll always look up to somebody. Um, I, you do naturally turn into a mentor after, after working and after working with more junior engineers or people who want to learn from you. Like I, I, um, I like started noticing that as I moved around, um, like junior engineers would reach out to me to move on onto my team. Um, so yeah, that does happen, but I, I don't think you ever need to stop finding or, or reaching out to somebody who knows more than you. Sanjay, do you want anything to add? Uh, I think for me it was slightly different in that uh, what I sort of perceived as valuable and impactful has changed through my life. And so I'm still sort of like, you know, there are still mentors out there for me because what I value is slightly, very different actually than what I valued when I graduated. So specifically for me, it's more sort of about, you know, creating value. How do you sort of found now a new uh, impactful experience? Cool. All right. Hi. Hi, I'm Jenny. I'm currently studying computer science and business. Um, obviously, you guys have worked at like a great panel of companies, and I was just wondering, like, have you personally ever experienced kind of the imposter syndrome working around like amazing people, and how has that ever affected you? Uh, it was very true for me when I reached Google. It was a switch from sort of Oracle to Google, um, and Google back in the day, you know, like. <laughs> Uh, every week there would be something, right? Blogger came out, Gmail came out, Google Calendar came out. Um, and here I, basic, I didn't have the basic grasp of you know, how browsers work because it's not something you studied, um, right? So I think just persistence and hanging on with those people will sort of like make you better, right? Like, which is why I'm super, super excited always trying to find like the best people and working with them. I had the exact same experience going from Microsoft to Facebook, especially your like early Facebook. The engineers were amazing. Every single one of them, like you knew in the press, like they they contributed so much. They built out all these like amazing features. And I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, being a, it, it does impact you. So I think one thing is to understand that nobody knows what they're doing. Like it's just a fact. Like these engineers actually had the same imposter syndrome themselves. They're like, what am I doing? I'm at this company, like, what should I be doing every day? And uh, I think just knowing that everybody uh, is victim to this imposter syndrome kind of helps you. Um, but I think embracing it and learning from these people is super valuable. Just, just power through it. It's, it's something that literally everybody runs into and just like go with it. Like you, you were there for a reason, you're qualified for it. Just be like confident in yourself and your skills. Um, and yeah, for me, it was just throughout I feel my career. So when I interviewed for Uber, I actually interviewed as a full stack engineer. And I remember, um, so they were looking for, they had only a couple of Android engineers, so they didn't want their third hire to be somebody who only had like four months of Android experience. So I interviewed as a full stack engineer and they, um, I remember they had this list of requirements, we had to build an app, it was a home project. And they had this list of requirements on which frameworks to use and whatever. I was never very good uh, proficient in JavaScript, I just didn't know it, so I just chose not to use those frameworks. I was like, how am I gonna learn JavaScript and also use this? So I just wrote a very honest, very simple JavaScript app. And I was like, God, I'm totally not gonna get this job or not gonna get a call back. But then they called me back. Then I went into the interview and I remember there was this one question that um, they asked, it was something about like matching braces, it was some algorithm question. Um, and I answered it in kind of a weird way. Like I used 
like not the, I, I checked later. Um, I was confused during the interview because I wrote it down and they were like looking at it like squinty eyed, like, does that work? And then afterwards they were like, okay, it works. I guess you pass. And I looked at the answer later and it was just very different in a very unique, um, unique way of answering it, imaginative, imaginative way of answering it. Um, but I definitely felt like, oh my God, like I'm not gonna pass this interview. Like these people expect me to know these frameworks and whatever, like they use Python. I don't really know Python, except I learned it and I used it in school. Um, and then I got put on my first project and it was all Python and it was just me. Like Uber kind of did this thing where they would take a brand new engineer and give them a very, very important project and be like, oh, the driver sign up flow depends all on you and you're just terrified. Um, so they gave me this project and I was, I was so scared. I was like, this is the wrong person. Like you should pick somebody who knows Python better um, or whatever, like what are you doing giving, the, giving this to me? And then um, at that point just did basically what um, Jeff and Sanjay said, just per, I bought a Python, but Python is like really crazy. This book is this big. I didn't read all of it, but I skimmed. Um, anyway, so I, I learned Python, I put up a couple of like, I put up some code reviews, got completely destroyed. Like I felt really, really dumb. I was like, you made a mistake giving me this project. And at some point, like it just turns around, like you get less rejections on your code reviews and you somehow are finishing your project. And then somehow like no one really notices that you have so many rejections on your code reviews. You're the only person who noticed and they just tell you good job on your project. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It took me so long to do this. Like, and I have so many mistakes, but no one really notices except for you. Um, Move to Android. I, they asked me to join the Android team because I had a little bit of experience and I had to re-interview and I was like, Oh my gosh, like I have to re-interview for Android. I don't even know Android that well. Um, but they, I had to do another take-home project. It's supposed to take four hours. I took eight hours and I told my manager, I was like, this doesn't, did not take me four hours. It took me way longer. Um, I hope that's okay. He was like, oh, whatever, like it's fine. Like your app works, it's okay. Like you're willing to learn, it's fine. Um, I joined the team. Everyone had worked on it for years and they're all like very type A guys and they would do code reviews as a group and I would see them just like tear each other apart on these things and I was so, so scared. Um, but then again, the same thing happened. You get bashed a few times and then you might feel really bad about yourself but then it goes away and all of a sudden like you're getting less criticisms and you're able to get things through a lot quicker. Um, with Eats and Freight, it was also hard because then I think, I'm sure Sanjay, you felt this way when you joined Telepart as the first um, first engineer, but I, I'd always worked on projects with other people. I'd never done, started like Freight, for example, there was no Android app before I started on the team. So I was just like, I don't know if you should be trusting me with this, um, but you just like, I, I think once you start and and like just push those thoughts aside, they'll still come up. But um, I feel like you can always work hard to close that gap. Like there's nothing that you're not capable of, especially um, having gone through Berkeley. Uh, I feel like honestly, I could. I feel like if one if um, the most valuable thing Berkeley taught me is you can 
you can hard work your way through anything. Like you can just study for a week or like maybe you won't sleep one or two nights, but it's fine, you'll figure it out. Um, and yeah, it's so it's always there, but you'll realize it's not that bad and no one notices except for you. And, and I would add that, you know, no matter what level of success you reach, I swear to God, everybody feels this way. They feel like they don't belong or that they're surrounded by people much smarter than them. That's typically a good thing, actually. If, you're, if you constantly feel like you're surrounded by better people than you, you're doing something right, you know? But it's a common thing that I think everybody feels. Uh, we're gonna take one more question and we're gonna do something a little bit different than we've done um, before. As opposed to having people come up on the stage afterwards, we'll take this one question, as opposed to, except for Bill, who'll be here for the next <laughs> hour or will talking with you. Um, but I encourage you all, if you're okay with this, um, to actually write and write an email. And, and if you have questions and if you have one-on-one -on -one questions, but when you write that email, um, say not, don't talk about yourself, but what it is about, about one of our panelists, why you want to talk to them in particular, what it is that they've done. Um, so with that, let's have our last question. Oh, hi. Um, I have a question specifically for Padmini. Um, I know you briefly touched on the news coming out about Uber, and I was just wondering, um, since that uh -huh. news came out, uh, could you speak a bit more about challenges you faced as a woman in a male-dominated workspace and how you've dealt with it? Yeah, um, well, the thing is, I feel like I'm glad it came out, um, just because I feel like it's not an Uber-specific problem. It's not even a tech company-specific problem. Um, actually, when I went to Cal, I was, um, the, there were, I, I think in my CS61A CX, class, it was, I was one of two girls in a class of 200 people. And um, most of my discussions group, I was the only girl. Um, even before that, in high school, like I feel like this is an issue that um, has been around forever. And now, now, after all of the recent stuff came out, like the blog post and all of that, um, I feel like we're finally talking about it. Like for the first time, I'm in this environment where everybody is talking about it and thinking about it, and it's very, very uncomfortable because all of a sudden, I'm see I find myself looking back at things that happened at previous companies or you know before I started working and thinking, oh, maybe that wasn't right or that was kind of unfair, and um, I just didn't even realize it. Just like. Like you're in a discussion group and all the guys are like talking amongst themselves, they're not really including you, and you're just like, this is fine. You're like, that's okay, this is just how it is, and then you just go study on your own. Um, so it's very uncomfortable because the stuff is happens and it's very easy to ignore. And now, um, because of this, everyone is talking about it. Like at Uber, we're taking it so seriously. Um, and I kind of, I notice a change. So yeah, it's, it's hard not just at Uber, but everywhere. But um, I'm glad for this because I think that um, I've noticed very positive changes from this. I feel like for, for like females in the group, it's important, to, it's important to talk about it and share your experiences because a lot of times people just don't know what you're going through. And I feel like for, for the males, um, you, I think it's really important to be a strong ally because, um, because a lot of times like that, that'll make all the difference. Like I've had um, coworkers reach out to me and say like, hey, like have I ever exhibited unconscious biases or have I ever like 
made you feel this way. Um, and I think just caring and having that conversation is a very positive step in making things better. Um, but yeah, it's gonna take it's gonna take everybody and a lot of time, and hopefully, like, we'll see some real changes. I don't know if I answered your question. I feel like I just rambled. Oh, no, it was incredibly eloquent. Uh, thank you. Thanks so much for asking. So I just want to thank you all for being so open, so honest, so funny, uh, and uh, we look forward to maybe being able to welcome you back. Thank you. Thank you.